We meet today in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12 to verse 18. In our last study, we considered that Solomon is making tremendous experiments and he is making them in the laboratory of life. He is trying everything that is available to men. In his day and position, he was able to go into any field that he chose. Not many men today would be able to do what Solomon did. He first gave himself to the study of the laws of nature, as we have seen, but he found nothing he could lean in nature or in science, which was new in the sense that it would bring new life to him. Solomon had tried to find satisfaction in all these areas, but he had come to one conclusion. All is vanity. My friend, the same is true today. Man tries to be important. Man tries everything in the world to keep himself before the public, but it isn't long until he passes off the stage. And we were told there is no remembrance of former things. It was said that the atomic bomb was a new thing when it was manufactured, but the atom had been around for a long time. The nuclear bomb may be something that is new today, but the nuclear itself, that atom had been here for a long time. Actually, the atom is older than man, although man did not know it existed during all that time. All man has accomplished is to make the little atom a very difficult neighbor. The nosy human beings should have let sleeping dogs lie, but we probe around. Perhaps you are asking, well, isn't the computer also a new thing? Not really, my friend. God created us with computer brains and electric nervous systems. A mechanical computer brings to man no deep and abiding satisfaction. Man has learned that none of these gadgets contribute to anything really new to him. There is one exception, however. There is one thing that is new. And I want you to know, my friend, that is the new birth. This is something that comes when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. This, my friend, is about the only one thing that is new that will come your way. Anything else will not be new. Wealth is not new. Relationships are not new. Pleasure is nothing new. The only thing that can come is to become a new creature. Now, Solomon's next experiment will be in the area of wisdom and philosophy. One way to understand the enigmatic book of Ecclesiastes is to read it as a contrast between two different outlooks on life, either acknowledging and depending on God or failing to do so. Failing to honor God is life under the sun, on the earth, or under heaven. It is a life filled with pain, toil, disillusionment, and sadness. By contrast, living life in relationship to God is to live by the hand of God, which leads to harmony and joy. 
These opposing lifestyles are similar to the contrasting lives that Adam and Eve lived before and after the fall. Originally, all creation was good, according to Genesis 1, 26-31, and there was no shame between the man and the woman. Genesis 2, verse 24-25. But after the first couple's rebellion, in Genesis 3, verse 1 to verse 7, the history was filled with pain and toil. That was immediately in verse 8 to verse 24 of Genesis 3. Then murder followed in Genesis 4. Rampant evil in Genesis 6. Drunkenness, shame, and curses in Genesis 9. And ultimately, worldwide confusion in Genesis 11. The world that God had designed for people's good became evil and destructive. Genesis and Ecclesiastes portray a similar picture of the struggle between what God intended and what we experience as a result of sin. We cannot escape living in this fallen world, but we do have a choice whether to acknowledge God or to try to make sense out of life without him. In many ways, then, Ecclesiastes spells out the significance of what happened in the Garden of Eden. It is the account of man who honestly faced himself and life and recorded what he learned for the benefit of others. In the end, we are called to acknowledge God. As Ecclesiastes 12 verse 1 to 14 tells us, as we acknowledge the ultimate vanity of life without God. So let us also go through with Solomon in his experience experimenting with wisdom and philosophy. I, the preacher, was king over Jerusalem, and I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under the sun. This burdensome task God has given to the sons of men by which they may be exercised. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 12 and 13. You see, Solomon might have used the past tense, was, because he was beginning the account of his past experiences during his long reign as king in Jerusalem, or in the sense of a present perfect have been. Solomon spent a lot of time studying the philosophy of the world. He lived nearly a thousand years before Christ. And since we live over 2,000 years on this side, 3,000 years have actually elapsed. Man has come up with a great deal of gadgetry in that time. But actually, man doesn't know any more about philosophy and wisdom than Solomon knew 3,000 years ago. There has been no improvement in philosophy and wisdom, neither do they satisfy the heart. The teacher has confronted us with a situation here that today might be called existential. Man exists in a series of experiences and cannot discover any onward meaning in them. All he can do is exist and make the best of what comes or drop out altogether. 
Yet most people still believe today that life has some meaning if only they could find it. In his first mention of God, in verse 13, the teacher, Solomon, stated what comes out again later. Especially in chapter 3, verse 11, the fact that God has given something to men that he has denied to the rest of the animal world, the constant though often worried, urge to make sense of life and to work toward a transcendent ideal. An animal lives within the circle of its instinct and drives. Man, in the likeness of God, looks for meanings so that he can control and direct his instinctive desires. We are fallen beings who need the life and the illumination that comes from God. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 14 Now, all systems of philosophy lead up to a blind alley. You can make the same experiment yourself, my friend. You can spend your lifetime studying this subject and you will find it is actually a waste of time. We are living in a day when educators are declaring that all of the past methods of education were just a waste of time. I wonder how good our present method is. I think that it is also a waste of time, my friend. Man can never learn the real important thing. He cannot know God by wisdom and philosophy. God is never intended to be known through wisdom and philosophy. Man's knowledge of God comes only through revelation. Philosophy generally leads a person to a pessimistic view of life. How many of us think by accumulating so much learning that they will get closer to God? What God needs is a responding heart that says, God, you have revealed your truth through your word and you have spoken to me by pointing me to my basic need to deal with the sin nature in me. You don't need to philosophize about it. When you do so, that is what gets you connected to God not through philosophy. You cannot take natural man, man who is a lost sinner, alienated from God, and give him an education, expecting that education will solve the problems of his life. That is a futile attempt. It will not do that. Philosophy and psychology cannot change the human nature, nor can they correct the old sinful nature of man. Redemption does. God's power does. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be numbered. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 15. This is an interesting one. What is crooked cannot be made straight. As the twig is bent, the tree inclines. The tree grows crooked because the twig was bent. You and I start out in life with an old nature. We can educate it and do many things to improve it, 
But as the Lord Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. It will always be flesh, my friend. That is the reason we must have a new nature. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. John 3, verse 6. You see, what is crooked cannot be straightened. It needs to be changed at the root of it. What is lacking cannot be numbered. Now, we have come to the day when evil is called good, actually, and good is called evil. Only an educated man could come up with the conclusion that the deterioration on campuses in schools is not deterioration, but actually improvement. That's what the educated person tells us. If you believe fairy stories, you may even want to believe that. But we need to face reality, my friend. Education cannot solve the problems of life. In fact, education is good, but it also complicates life. For now in this, our world, we have educated, smart criminals. This is why we are trying to improve all systems to, to curb corruption, to curb uh, thieves, to deal with the moral vices that are destroying the very fiber of our society. And the governments are trying, they are failing. Why? Because man is a sinner at the core of his heart. Education will not improve the problems of life. But the revelation of God, the salvation which comes through the word of God, through the accomplished work of Calvary, will solve the problems of the world. Neither can psychology provide the answer. In our day, there are clever men and women who have come up with little psychological cliches to explain and solve the problems of life. They caught them with a little Bible like a bitter pill that is covered with a sugar coating to make them appear as if they are biblical solutions. My friend, the word of God in its entirety, contains for the Christians the answers to the problems of life. Not just the portions that you like. There are no easy solutions. Studying the word of God requires a great deal of time and effort and mental preparation and mental perspiration or how that is needed among many people. And then it requires determined obedience to what God is saying. Solomon discovered that wisdom and philosophy did not provide the answers to the problems of life. I communed with my heart saying, Look, I have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 16 now, the statement, I have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem, is not necessarily an acronymism. Solomon, of course, was preceded by only one Israelite king, David, in Jerusalem. But the reference here may be to rulers generally, that means the elders and the judges. Also note that in First King chapter 14, verse 9, the prophet rebukes, Jeroboam I, the first ruler of the divided northern Israel, by comparing him to all who were before him. 
Since Jerusalem had been a royal city for centuries, many rulers preceded Solomon. Also, since the Hebrew text does not specify all kings, but only all who were before me, the context may be fairly presented as referring to all wise men who were before Solomon in Jerusalem. Now, I believe that Solomon was led to a certain amount of arrogance, a certain amount of conceit, since he was wiser than the others. Paul writes that knowledge puffs up in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1. It can inflate an in individual like a balloon. If that individual feels he is a little smarter or better educated than those around him, remember that education is based on experience and experience cannot be trusted. Experience must be tested by the word of God, unfortunately. Many people today are testing the word of God by their experience the other way around. My friend, if your experience is contrary to the word of God, then it is your experience, not the word of God, which is wrong. I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is grasping for the wind. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 17. Now, there is a statement here to know madness and folly. It is an interesting one. You see, wisdom and playing the fool are not very far apart. Many clever people in the history of the world have played the fool. Solomon is the notable example of that. It is even said that King James of England the one for whom our King James Version of the Bible is named, certainly was not capable of translating. He was called James the Fool, because that's what he was, although he thought he was a very smart individual. Our nations have produced generations that think they are very intelligent and clever, yet we cannot even solve the problems that are around us, much less the problems of the world. Solomon gave his heart to know wisdom and also to know madness and folly. He did both. And so he said, I perceived that this also is grasping for the wind. In other words, it was not worth the effort. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 18. Isn't this a sad way to look at life? An increase in wisdom presupposes knowledge. As a man learns disturbing facts about himself, he becomes more aware of his own ignorance and less satisfied with his own heart. As he attains greater insights into what is wrong in the world, he is less willing to trust his fellow men. In other words, the pain and the heartache resulting from wisdom and knowledge come as the, as the futility of earthly possession is realized. Wisdom and knowledge in themselves, though good, are comfortless. The believer must always seek to increase in knowledge and wisdom 
only as a means of better understanding the Lord and serving Him. He must learn patience, committing the ordering of events to God and releasing all earthly anxiety. Joy and satisfaction do not increase in ratio to the increase of knowledge, my friend. Someone has said that when ignorance is bliss, tis folly to be wise. There is a certain amount of truth in that, my friend. In much wisdom, there is much grief. The more we know, the more we increase our problems. Life has become more tedious today and has produced more tensions. And all of our scientific gadgets and inventions about us are making life almost unbearable. We never seem to get away from the computers that are controlling life today. We never seem to get away from the cars and all these machines. Go into the kitchen. Instead of having simple things to make sure life is simple, we are all complicated. On the continent of Africa, sometimes where we experience power cuts and there is no electricity, people who have been well functional and when the computer cannot be switched on and there is no power or that computer is dead, the person almost becomes redundant because we are dependent on these things. The machines that we think are so wonderful and practically worship are the ones that are drowning us in pollution and even driving us to madness. How accurate Solomon was in saying, in much wisdom is much grief. And Solomon did not live in the machine age, by the way. He did not see the industrial revolution. He did not see this 21st century Almost what has been termed as the electronic age, the space age, whatever you want to call it. But he knew what he was talking about. In much wisdom is much grief. See all the suicides that people are committing. See how we are even turning on each other. The cities which were meant to be safe havens for people have actually places where you feel like you are in a jungle. In the world today, it is much safer when you are in the forest than when you are in the city. In much wisdom or in much learning, there is much grief. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send an email to info at twrafrica.org. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me repeat that email address for you. Info at twrafrica.org